Our scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And I know that you all just had a seat, but I'm going to ask for you to stand once more for the reading of God's word. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word given to us. I pray that as your word is read and your word is preached, that you would work by it, that your sheep would hear your voice and follow after you, Lord Jesus, as the good shepherd for our souls. Would you do your good work in us? Would you cause us to feast upon the green pastures that you lay before us, that we would listen to you and trust you for our life and for all of our joy? We ask this in Christ's name and we ask it for his glory. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, this past week, I was, uh, I was at a retreat for pastors, um, kind of pastors in our area, um, kind of region, Midwest, and uh, from our fellowship of churches. And uh, Pastor Dan Allen was leading it and was uh, teaching through a number of different sessions. One of the topics that he covered was what he called Psalms for Your Soul. Psalms for your soul. And he said to this group of pastors, he said, what what you need is to anchor your soul in some of these very precious realities that are found in the Psalms. And so he he encouraged us to say, okay, you know, what's a Psalm that's meant a lot to you? And then kind of, we got to share that with the other pastors around and say, here's how the Lord has met me. Here's how he's strengthened me through this Psalm that has anchored my soul. And I would guess that if I were to throw that out to this room, there would be a great many who would say Psalm 23. It's a dear, precious psalm that has comforted many of you during times of hardship and grief and loss. 
And you know how that psalm begins. It's maybe the most well-known of all the psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. We read it at funerals. We read it at bedsides. We read it as words of comfort. But do we know what it means that the Lord is our shepherd? What does it mean that he is shepherding us, guiding us? The promise of this wonderful psalm begins with saying the Lord is our shepherd. It's important for us to understand what is meant by that, because today in our text, we will see Jesus identify himself as the good shepherd and explain a little bit of what he means by it. See, the idea of a shepherd is foreign to many of us. Uh, It would not have been to Jesus' audience, but many of us don't spend the entirety of our days around sheep. Um, Just as a guess, but I think I'm safe guessing that. So we can get this, uh, this mindset of a, a shepherd as like this meek and lowly, kind of awkward guy who just kind of sits around chilling on a mountaintop somewhere. He is bored to death, has no internet reception, and the sheep are just eating some grass. And you think, well, that sounds like a very boring life, and this guy doesn't really sound that impressive whatsoever. That's, that's kind of maybe our idea of a shepherd. But in reality, a shepherd is one who protects the sheep. There are wolves and lions and other foes that might try to take the sheep and steal them and eat them. And so the shepherd's one who fights them off and fends them off to protect his flock. The shepherd guides the sheep looking for food, says, I I know where you're going to be able to eat. I'm going to lead you to that. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you rest and safety and food. And the shepherd will even put himself in between the, the danger and his flock, You know, sheep are funny creatures, strange creatures. I don't know if you've been around sheep often. I have not, and I have no plans of changing that anytime soon. But I have seen some videos of sheep, and that's good enough for me. And so uh, I saw this video once, and there was this sheep who was kind of stuck in this crevice somewhere, and the, this, this guy was trying to help the sheep get out of the, uh, of the jam he was in. So trying not to injure the sheep and just kind of trying to get it unstuck. And eventually, after a lot of work, he gets the sheep unstuck. He, he sets it there, and he kind of, you know, he, he's, he's glad he did his job, and the sheep starts jumping around for joy, and within seconds, jumps right back into the crevice. And uh, it was uh, played up for laughs, but that's exactly what sheep are like. And Jesus will say, we too are much like that that we wander, we find ourselves stuck in need of help, and Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Not only is he merely a shepherd, he is the good shepherd. And we'll see in our text what that means for us. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean that he's our good shepherd? So I want to begin by reading the words of C.H. Spurgeon, who I think in commenting on this verse, had a lot of very profound things to say, but um, let me just read a maybe lengthy portion from what he said. He says this, that when Jesus says, I am a shepherd, he says first, that is to say that he stands in the same relationship to his people that a shepherd does to his flock. He owns his people. Every one of them belong to him. He prizes them because they are his. He sets a value upon every one of them. He takes care of them, remembering them both night and day, and his heart is never off them. And because of his inward love, there is an outward goodness which he constantly extends toward them. He protects them from the wolves. He guards them from a thousand dangers. He sees to the supply of all their wants. He guides them in the right way. He brings them back when they wander. He strengthens them when they are weak. He carries them when they are too feeble to go on. 
He sees that they are a weak flock and a silly flock and a wandering flock. Therefore, he is their strength, their wisdom, their righteousness, their all. No creature perhaps has more diseases than a sheep except for a man. No creature is more dependent upon another and a higher creature than a sheep is, for it seems only half itself till it's actually under the care of man. And none of us, brothers, can be said to be less dependent than the sheep are. For we are not truly fully men till we get near to Christ. We are without life and without strength till we find life and strength in him. As a sheep would be sure to wander, and wandering would be very likely to wander into a desert, and would be sure not to better itself. It will be certain in the end to come to naught. So it is with us. Without him who is our shepherd, we should wander farther and farther into misery and sin, and our ruin would be certain. We are more dependent upon Christ than sheep are upon their shepherd. You see then why Christ says, I am a shepherd toward his own people whom he has redeemed with precious blood. He stands in the position of a proprietor, a leader and a guide, a father, a king, all of which may be condensed into this one word, shepherd but he is not only a shepherd he is a good shepherd for what he does he does well never does he neglect his flock not one ever perished because he forgot it and since he never forgets not one ever perished at all he is a good shepherd because all that ought to be done all that can be done all that may we wish to be done toward his sheep that he does friend that is your good shepherd And we will see in our text this morning exactly what it means for our lives that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd for our souls. We will see first that the good shepherd knows his sheep. And then we'll see that the good shepherd gathers his sheep. And then that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is the way in which your good shepherd, Jesus Christ, cares for you, his sheep. First, he knows the sheep. This idea shows up several times in our text. Look at verse three, midway through the verse. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jump down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. So Jesus knows his sheep. Why? Because they belong to him. There is. That's the point of the illustration that happens early in the text. That the person who enters by the, uh, by the, the sheepfold in the gate is the shepherd. It rightly belongs to him. To him, the gatekeeper opens because he has authority to enter in. He doesn't climb over the walls. He's not trying to break in. It's not like he forgot his keys somewhere and is saying, how do I get into this thing? He, the door opens right to him. Why? Because this is his sheepfold because he owns the sheep. This, they belong to him. And he knows the sheep. Jesus knows you, cares for you, he loves you, he provides for you. You say, well, okay, yeah, sure. Jesus knows everybody. I, I, I get that, you know, okay, Jesus knows all things. Okay, yeah. but, but you notice in our text, there's a particularity to his love and his knowledge. It doesn't say he knows all the goats and all the wolves and all the robbers. He says he knows his sheep. There's a particularity to this knowledge. It says that those who belong to him, he knows you in an intimate way. He knows everything about you and he cares for you and he loves you and he provides for you as a good shepherd does tenderly and graciously loving his own. He knows your name. He calls you by name. Think about how amazing it is. The God of the universe knows your name. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, many of us struggle with names. 
And then it gets really awkward because you reach a point where you've had too many conversations with them to ask their name again. And so you're like, now I'm in trouble. So it's just, hey, buddy, how you doing, right? And so you're a little too late. I, I heard once of a church that did what they called Name Amnesty Sunday. And so that Sunday that everybody you talked to, you went and said, hi, my name is Josh. Even if you knew them really well, that way you get them off the hook of any awkward conversations. You're telling them your name, right? Uh, some of us are not good with names. We can forget them. But Jesus has never forgotten a single name of his own. He has no memory problems. He doesn't have trouble remembering your name. He knows you. He cares for you. And he calls you out by name to follow him. You might be overlooked by everyone else around you, but you are not overlooked by Jesus. You might be lonely and not have many friends, but Jesus is friend of his sheep. You might feel forgotten, left out by others. You're never forgotten by Jesus. He knows his sheep. In fact, the Bible says that this shepherd is so good that if even one of his sheep wanders away, he will go after them in pursuit of them to bring them home. Jesus is a good shepherd who knows his sheep. And his sheep know him. When he calls to them, they listen. We are told that the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know the voice of your good shepherd? There are many voices that vie for our attention. There are many people that we could listen to, people on the news, people on TV, people around you, even your own heart. There's many things we could listen to. Do you know the voice of Jesus? He speaks to us through his word. Do you know his word? Do you know him enough to discern when he's speaking? See, there are plenty of voices that call out to us. Jesus, even in our text, talks about there are thieves and robbers who come in, and it seems like this is continuing right on from John chapter 9. We don't know how much time has passed, but there seems to be some continuity to thought here. And he's just been talking about the religious leaders who do not know him as the, the Christ. They have not professed faith in him. And Jesus says, there are those around who will teach false things and lead you astray. Do you know the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, enough to discern that? to listen and say, that's not Jesus talking. See, part of the role of a good shepherd is to call his sheep away from those dangers, protect them, keep them from harm. And Jesus calls his sheep and he says, my sheep know my voice. They know what I sound like. They know what I say. And they listen to me. Because there are wolves that come looking for the sheep. There are thieves and robbers who try to break in through other entrances, trying to steal the sheep away. And there will be those who call out to the sheep, trying to lure them and say, hey, you know what? Uh, come, come over here. I can give you more joy than you're finding there. There will be thieves who come along and say there are greener pastures to be found outside the fence than inside of it. Jesus says that when it comes to his sheep, a stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, in fact, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus says his sheep will know his voice and follow him. They will not listen to the voice of strangers. They will not listen to the wolves that promise a better life to be found away from the shepherd. They will not listen to the thieves who promise them greener pastures. They will listen to Jesus. So do you know what he sounds like? Do you know what he says? Do you spend time in his word to know the voice of your shepherd and discern that from the words of others around you? Because rarely do thieves, robbers, wolves come in and, uh, and just are outright blatant about what they're trying to do. 
It doesn't take an exceptionally trained ear to hear when someone comes and says, hey, if you follow me, you're going to die, and think, well, that sounds like where I want to go. You're going to be able to tell that pretty quickly, but these wolves are far more subtle than that. They come in with things that sound much like the truth, and yet we as sheep, we as Christians are called to know the voice of Jesus enough to be able to discern what they are saying and say, that's not what Jesus promises. Even in recent weeks, there's a well-known pastor in America who has abandoned biblical sexual ethics in his practice, and his message sounds subversive enough to, to, to cause a lot of people to think, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but do you know the voice of Jesus enough to be able to listen through the lies that are being said and say, that's not what Jesus says in his word. Do you know his word enough to recognize when someone speaks things that might on the surface sound good, but behind them lies death? And the only way for us to actually be able to discern these things is through the word of Christ as we learn his voice and listen to the voice of our shepherd. And note, friends, that this text doesn't just say, well, there's some sheep who are gonna know what he sounds like. It will say, my sheep know what I, they know my voice. Every one of them. My sheep know my voice and they will follow me. They won't go after all these other things. They know how to discern when I'm speaking and when these others are speaking. To follow the good shepherd is to listen to Jesus more than the allure of the world. It's to listen to Jesus more than the talking heads who are telling you what you should what you think sounds good. It is to listen to Jesus more than anyone or anything else. It is to listen to him as the good shepherd who intends good for his flock. Jesus is a shepherd who knows his sheep. And if I could take just a moment and speak to those who are in positions of leadership here at Grace, pastors, elders, staff members, Grace group leaders, those who are teachers, Bible study leaders, you know, when the Bible speaks of spiritual leadership in the church, it doesn't necessarily use the terms that we often think about. When the Bible speaks about spiritual leadership, it doesn't say that the elders of the church must be tremendous leaders skilled as CEOs of the organization. That doesn't say that they need to be gifted visionaries. In an age that tends to look at the most charismatic personalities, the most compelling visions, the most gifted leaders, what the Bible looks for is godly shepherds in their leaders. The very term applied to Jesus as a good shepherd, it is the, the, the call to spiritual leadership in the church is the call to shepherd. Peter's exhortation to the elders is clear. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastoring is shepherding. It means the leaders must know the sheep, live among the sheep, care for the sheep. The leaders must feed the sheep, guiding them to the green pastures of God's word and helping them hear the voice of their good shepherd, Jesus. It means leaders must defend the sheep, guarding them from wolves and errors that threaten to lead them astray. This is the call to godly leadership in the church, is a call to shepherd. And church, you have every right to expect that leadership from your leaders at Grace. To expect that the leaders here are men of godly character who know the sheep, feed the sheep, and defend the sheep. And it is my prayer and my exhortation to my fellow elders here that, that this would be true of us in ever-increasing ways as we move forward that we would embody that in ways that reflect Jesus as our good shepherd. But let me remind you, church, that every single human leader in this church and in any other church is not the true good shepherd. Jesus doesn't just say here, I am a good shepherd, one among many. He says, I am the good shepherd, the only one. He is the ultimate shepherd, the one that our souls truly need. And every human leader serves merely as an under-shepherd to this great shepherd in Christ. 
which means that what you most ultimately need, you will not be able to find in any of the leaders at this church. We will not get everything right. I promise you, I will let you down even though I do not intend to. Maybe by forgetting your name, hopefully not. Jesus never will. What you need most out of the leadership at this church is under shepherds of the good shepherd who are pointing you to him. You will have problems that no human being can fix. There will be griefs and pains. You'll bring your hurt and your sin and look for any hope. And what you need are people who point you to say, Jesus and Jesus alone can shepherd you as you need. Jesus is the good shepherd for our souls. And he knows you and he calls you by name to follow him. He knows his sheep and he gathers his sheep to himself. Notice in verse four, Jesus says that when he has brought out all his own, the good shepherd goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus calls them out by name and what do they do? They follow him. And he's leading them to this glorious sheepfold. They will be at rest with him forever. But this sheepfold that he is leading them to will have sheep from all over the world. That's what Jesus promises. Look at this. It's stunning what he says in verse 16. Jump down in your text. And I will have other sheep, or I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus, as the good shepherd of his sheep, says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking, I have sheep that are not of Israel. He's talking to this crowd here. He has sheep of other folds, and he will bring them into this one flock. Just as there is one shepherd, so too is there one flock. There are not multiple peoples of God. It's not like this sheep pen is divided. It's not like, okay, we got Israel over here, and we got the church over here. He's got one people. And he brings them, both Jews and people from all over the globe. I must bring them in. Jesus gathers his sheep, and this is the impetus behind global missions. If I could say, at the risk of oversimplifying it, that this text gives four foundational assumptions that underlie our going in global missions. The first one is this. Jesus has sheep that are of other folds. You see that in the text. He has people that, that, that are outside this fold. I must bring them in. He has people from all over the world that are his and in fact, this is the comfort that God gives to Paul when Paul is wondering, should I go into this city? In Acts chapter 18, here's what God tells him. I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, I have many there who are mine already. So we, we, we see the same thing here that Jesus says. I have many sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in. Notice he says, I have many sheep, not I will have many sheep one day. I have them. Now, they're, they're out there. I'm called to go gather them. They are already his. So if that's true and he has sheep of other folds, then second, he must bring them to himself. He must bring them to himself. This work of redemption is not optional, but it is a necessity that Christ will have the bride for which he died, that he will bring the sheep to himself, that all those who are his will come to him. There is a dramatic necessity to his words, you see. I must bring them also. And if that's what our Lord insists, then that's what the church is called to do. To scatter over the globe for the sake of gathering the sheep under the good shepherd. The great commission is no more optional for a church than is Jesus gathering all of his sheep together optional for the Savior. Third, those who are his sheep will listen to him. So if Christ saying that he must have them is the great necessity of missions, then this statement is the great assurance of missions, that they will listen to him. 
He doesn't just say this opening the door of possibility, saying, well, I hope this will happen sometime. He does not say, I must have them, so I hope they'll listen. I must have them, so we'll see what happens. I must have them, and they will listen to my voice. He knows they will recognize him, and he knows they will follow him. And that means that when we go out on mission, we trust our Lord already has a people for himself, and those people will respond when the voice of the shepherd goes forth. There's a, there's a guarantee, a promise to this, that this is, not, this is merely the work of gathering the sheep that are already out there. As his word goes forth, we gather, and they listen to the voice of the shepherd, and they come in to the sheepfold. And so forth, the ultimate goal of missions then is that this one flock would be united under this one shepherd. That's the aim for which all of this is about, that Jesus would receive the praise he is due from every single sheep from all over the world. The church is a glorious global people made up of different ethnicities and cultures and economic levels and personality types. This is the glorious sheepfold that Christ died for. And the true unity of a church is seen most clearly and it is seen most powerfully when that kind of unity is displayed among us. Where people who in the world's eyes do not have much in common come together and say, we have Jesus in common and that's enough. This is a gospel that unites black and white, male and female, rich and poor, married and single, young and old, uniting them together in the same grace group or in the same Bible study, in the same church. Why? Because we are of the same flock under the same shepherd. It's the promise that the book of Revelation tells us that there is coming a day where the host of heaven will be praising Jesus, declaring that by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I must bring them in and they will hear my voice and come. The good shepherd gathers his sheep. And another way of saying this is that Christ's work is effectively accomplishing everything that it set out to do. And what he set out to do was bring his people to himself. It is to ask the question, for whom did Christ die? I think the Bible would answer, the Bible, the Bible would say Jesus died for the sins of his people. And he died in a saving way only for his elect. Not for every single person of the world, but for his flock. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's not talking about the goats or the wolves. He's talking about the sheep. That's who he lays his life down for. Matthew chapter one, he will save his people from their sins. He died for his people. Acts chapter 20, the elders are to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He died for the church. Ephesians chapter five, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He died for his bride. John chapter 15, greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He died for his friends. Here's the point. The atonement of Christ is graciously, gloriously, and globally particular. This was a definite atonement, a particular redemption. He died for his sheep to bring them to himself, guaranteed. And it matters because the work of Christ was not merely making salvation possible. It was making it certain for his people. At the cross, Jesus did not merely make every person savable. He actually saved his sheep. It's important because it means Jesus did everything that was necessary to secure the salvation of his people. He didn't just die and then sit back and say, well, we'll see what happens next. He took names to the cross. When he went to the cross, he had the names of his flock on his head, or on his, on his mind and on his heart. He knows their name. And he went to the cross for them. 
Not only did he secure for his people the blessings that come after following him, Jesus died for them to secure the very faith to believe in him in the first place. See, if Christ died for all people, if Christ died for all the sins of all men, then why are not all men saved? And the answer would go, well, it's because of unbelief. To which I would ask, is unbelief also a sin? In which case, did he forget that one? Did he leave that one out? So either then you have to affirm that Christ did not die for every sin or that some people will be punished for the same sin Christ died for. But that's why the Bible teaches Christ died for the sins of all, all the sins of all of his people, for every one of his sheep, that he would actually bring them to salvation. He did not merely make us savable to say, well, here you go, ball's in your court now. He said, I'm going to do everything necessary to bring my sheep to myself. I will gather them. I know them. I love them. I care for them. And I will bring them to myself. Guaranteed. Christ's work set, accomplished everything he set out to do for it. And that is why we have confidence in global missions. Because we know that Jesus will gather his sheep from other folds. He will do it. He didn't leave it optional. He already purposed their salvation at the cross, and now is the work of gathering them to himself. He will have the prize of the nations, and he will bring his flock under his righteous, loving, tender care. And the way that this happens, as we've already been seeing, is that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is how Jesus loves and defends his people. The shepherd, when he sees the dangers, he puts himself in between his flock and the danger. And he dies willingly in their place. He says, let me be killed so that they be spared. Let me die so that they would have life. That's what the shepherd does. And Jesus puts himself in the middle of the danger of death and the sheep whom he loves. And he says, I will go to death instead. And here's what verse 17 says. It expands upon this. For this reason, the father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You see that Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. You say, how is that possible? It's because death is a consequence of sin. Death is not simply the way things were supposed to be. Death is not just the, tr the cruel twist of fate that arrives at the end of everybody's life. Death is not just a tragic accident that happens at some point down the road. Death is the tragic result of man's disobedience and rebellion. See, the Bible tells us the story of how everything came to be. It tells us that there is a God who created all things and he made all things good. There was no death, there was no destruction, there was no evil, there was no sin, there was no brokenness. And he created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. He says, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna care for you, I'm gonna provide for you. Like a tender shepherd, like a gracious father, like a heavenly friend. But Adam and Eve said, you know what? We could find more joy, more life, more freedom somewhere else than we can find in God. We can find more life through disobedience than we can find through obedience. And the consequences for this rebellion was death, as God had warned them. And every human being since Adam and Eve has repeated their very same disobedience. Every human being since Adam and Eve has been plagued by the very same curse of sin that was traced down through Adam. Adam. 
which means we all deserve to die. That is every human being except for Jesus. He was not tainted by Adam's sin, and he did not repeat Adam's sin. Where Adam had disobeyed God, and where you and I have disobeyed God, Jesus never once disobeyed God, but perfectly obeyed him. He never once did anything wrong. He never once committed a single sin. He never once disobeyed God, which means that he was the one human being who never deserved death. And it says that he willingly entered into it. He willingly gave himself up for it. The one human being who never deserved it said, I'll go, I'll go to the grave. You say, what would drive someone to do that? What would drive someone not just to say, well, that's tough. You guys are in a mess. I, I, see you later. I, I'm, I'm good. I obey. What would drive someone to say, no, no, no. I will willingly lay down my life and said, I will willingly go to the grave even though I don't deserve to go, even though I don't need to go. I will willingly do it. What would drive that? And here's the answer. It's love for his sheep. Love for you. Do you see the love of the, of the gracious good shepherd for his flock? He knows you by name. And he lays down his life out of love that he would gather you to himself. That's what drove him to do it. So Jesus knows what sheep are like. He knows that we stray. He knows that we wander. He knows that we go our own way. He knows that we deserve death. And so he comes and says, I'll die instead. I'll lay down my life for them. In fact, the prophet Isaiah promised that this would happen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus the Christ, the iniquity, the sin of us all. See, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep that we could live. It's embraced by faith in Christ as our only savior. It is confessing we could never and cannot save ourselves. There is no amount of good things that we could do that could ever get us out of death. We are wandering like sheep, turning away from the Lord and in desperate need of salvation. Jesus stepped down and said, I'll die so that they can live. It's only through faith in him that there is salvation. Jesus says everyone who comes into this sheepfold enters by the door, and there is only one door into this sheepfold. Jesus says in John chapter, chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See that? Jesus says, I am the door. The thieves and robbers are climbing over the wall trying to jump in and get in another way, but there is no other way into this sheepfold. There is only one way, and it is through the door, and the door is Jesus the Christ. Maybe some of you think, well, there's probably multiple ways to heaven. I'm sure there's a number of different ways we can get there. Jesus, maybe he's one way, but I'm sure there's multiple ways. Jesus says there's only one way in. There's only one door. There's only one door into the sheepfold, and it's Jesus. And so notice him at the door, standing there, calling you, beckoning you. Come in. Come in. Anyone who enters by this door, by faith in him as Savior and Lord, will be saved. You know, this weekend, uh, I was up at the uh, Cleveland Museum of Art. It's a great museum. We had a great time there. And as we were walking through, I noticed, um, you know, one of the exhibits there is basically just a very fancy-looking door. And uh, it's, it's kind of just standing there. And you can't touch it, but you can look and admire it. You can't walk through it, but you can look and admire it. And so you're standing there, wow, that's a beautiful door. And I, 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 I couldn't help but think, that's what maybe some of you 
or exactly like this morning. Jesus says there is a door into the sheepfold. And you have spent your life, maybe many years, maybe today's for the first time, but maybe for many years in the church, you have spent your life looking at that door, the gospel, and you spent your life admiring the door, saying that's a beautiful door, but you have not yourself actually walked through it into the sheepfold. And Jesus stands at the door and beckons, come on in, come on in. The good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for the sheep says, listen, I love you, I know you, you're mine, come on in, come on in. It's only through faith in him only through laying down, thinking that we ourselves could muster it up, but trusting in him and in him alone, that he died in my place, he took my sins, and he gives me life. And he tells you, here's what you'll find. When you enter through that door, here's what you'll find. He promises it, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you notice what Jesus promises his people? Do you notice what he came to secure for them through his death? Do you notice why he laid down his life for his sheep? It is to give them life, and not just life, but the abundance of life, life to the full. That's what he offers to us. What awaits us in this sheepfold, the inheritance for us are good and pleasant blessings forever. Friend, Jesus is not out to rob you of joy but to give it to you in fuller measures than you could ever find anywhere else. It's the thieves who break in. They're trying to rob you of joy. They don't come in with that kind of talk. They don't say, hey, follow me and you're gonna get less joy. They come in promising something better, like the serpent in the Garden of Eden. It comes and says, hey, you know what? This sin will make you happier, but behind that sin lay death. It promises something, but it doesn't lead to the abundance of life. It doesn't lead to the joy that Jesus offers. See, what sin is like, it comes up to the fence of this sheepfold and it says, hey, come on over here, try this instead. The grass is way, way, way greener over here. This grass tastes a lot better. Come on, just, just come try it. And then we begin to think that this fence that lies around the sheepfold, this fence keeps us from joy instead of actually giving it to us. The rules of, uh, the, the laws of scripture, the commands of scripture are not intended to rob us of joy, it is intended to give it to us. Fuller joy, better life, abundant life is found within the sheepfold, not outside of it. And so Jesus graciously draws a fence around and says, listen, stay in here, stay under my care, stay under my provision, and that's where you'll find joy. That's where you'll find the fullness of life. And only here, don't go wandering all these other places thinking I'm gonna find it outside of that. Jesus knows that what lies outside this fence is danger and destruction and death. And so he draws the fence around and says, it's for your good, I wanna give you joy. That's why your good shepherd laid down his life, so that you would have joy in him forever. He knows his sheep. He knows when they're straying. He knows when they're roaming toward danger. He knows when the wolves are approaching. And he calls you by name and beckons you to come to him. Maybe you know the old hymn. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling calling to you and to me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, waiting for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling? calling you away from the sin that you've been running after for far too long, thinking that will give you more joy than he does? 
Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you away from all the other voices that are out there? The voices that stand around side the fence and say, hey, listen, come on over here and I can give you more than he does. And Jesus come home, come home. Maybe you've spent your life running after all these other things, wandering just like a sheep. And Jesus, the good shepherd who knows his sheep says, come home, come home. Do you hear the voice of your shepherd today calling you? Psalm 23 begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It means that Jesus as our good shepherd satisfies all of our desires. There is nothing I desire besides him. All of my joy is found in him and him alone. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. His plans for my life, his plans for your life are good. They are to give you refreshment and rest and restoration for your soul. They are to give you joy, not take it from you. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear. For Jesus Christ, our faithful shepherd, is there beside us, and he's gone there before us. He's already been through that valley. He's already gone to death. He willingly laid down his life for his sheep. But guess what? Jesus is alive today. Not only did he lay down his life, he also took it up again. He also was resurrected to newness of life. And so as, even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have a shepherd walking beside you saying, I've been here before. I know the way. He's with you. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is what awaits us. Where is this shepherd leading us? He gathers his sheep. He calls us by name. He knows us. And where is he leading us? That's where he's leading us where we will be satisfied with his presence forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and surely you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with your good shepherd. That's where he's leading us. His purposes for your life and for mine are for good. He knows his sheep. He gathers his sheep to himself. And because he laid down his life for his sheep, he secured for us the abundance, fullness of joy and eternal life with him. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our good shepherd. We thank you for the tender care, the loving provision, the grace and mercy. We confess that we like sheep go astray we wander our own way. We run after things thinking these things will satisfy us more than you do. We turn to the idols in our hearts to, to, to give us life when you promised the fullness of life is found only in following you. I pray that as your voice is heard this morning through your word, that your sheep would hear and follow you, calling us away from the things of, the things our hearts run after, the things the world sell to us, saying, you'll be happier here that we would hear your voice calling to us and we would follow you all the way home. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.